0: Welcome to the Martinskirk Podcast, a publication of sermons and lessons from Trinity Reformed Church of Martinsburg. Trinity Reformed exists to declare the victory of Jesus Christ through worship and practice to the ends of the earth. To learn more about our congregation, visit Martinskirk.com. Our sermon passage this morning comes from Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 16. Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod, when he saw that he was deceived by the wise men, was exceedingly angry. And he sent forth and put to death all the male children who were in Bethlehem and in all its districts, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet, saying, A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation, weeping, and great mourning. Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted, because they are no more. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. And may we look with expectant hope at the coming and appearing of Christ, for He is come to save us from our sins and deliver us. To eternal life. Through Him we pray. Amen. Amen. Now I pray this Christmas, uh, Christmas day yesterday was filled with feasting and laughter and joy and conversation and all those good things. The season is always a favorite for us. It's always a favorite for Christians. The coming of our Lord in human flesh is a joyful celebration. And this is because He has appeared to give us salvation. In salvation abundantly, he has come to us, born of a virgin, in a town called Bethlehem, the house of bread, to be called Emmanuel, God with us. This season should be counted among the most celebrated, most anticipated seasons of the Christian year, up there with Easter and Christ's ascension. But as Christians and Christians who follow the, the life of Christ in the church calendar, we should know that all joyous occasions come at a great cost. They come at a great cost. Before the celebration of Easter, we celebrate, or I should say we observe, Lent and the Passion of our Lord. All victories cost lives. Some of the biggest national celebrations that we can think of have cost thousands of lives. Before a birth, there is much pain. Before we can feast, we must work and toil. Struggle, pain, in sorrow all of these things are they preface our joyful celebration and this is because life is cross-shaped it's cross-shaped glory is found on the other side of the cross rest and feasting on the other side of death and history which is just human life lived out on a on a big scale history is also cross-shaped and this will help explain i hope This passage this morning from Matthew chapter 2. It seems odd at first glance that Matthew 2, verse 16 through 18 is considered a Christmas passage, but it is. This is a Christmas passage. Some may think, I thought we were celebrating a birth and not mourning the death of infants. It seems like a bit of a downer to the Christmas spirit, doesn't it? But this is actually an important event. It's an important event in the Christmas story. It is not meant to damper our joy, not meant to damper our spirits, but to deepen our hope of the coming Messiah and to show us the cost of such a blessing. Christ's appearing promises that our mourning and our sorrow is a prelude to joy and blessing. And in fact, his coming turns our sorrows into joy, even our greatest losses. So what is taking place here? Well, in the Christian calendar, we commemorate in a couple of days what's called the Feast of the Holy Innocents, which is the feast of uh, in celebration of the sacrifice of these children on Christ's behalf. So, what is happening here before this massacre of children in Bethlehem? What's what's the context of this passage in Matthew chapter two? Well, at the beginning of the second chapter of Matthew, the birth of Christ is recorded. The birth of Christ that we celebrated yesterday. Our Lord Jesus, as prophesied from old, was born of the Virgin Mary in a little town called Bethlehem in Judea. And was, was uh, uh, in those days, king, the king of Judea at the time was Herod, Herod the Great. Of course, his name is kind of ironic in this particular situation. No great man would act the way that he did. But Herod heard of the great prophecy from the wise men. The great prophecy of a Messiah who would come to deliver Israel from captivity and establish a new kingdom. And in order pro- to protect his throne, in order to protect his crown, which was common in the ancient Roman world, he wanted to find out who this Christ was and where he would be born, so that he could end that uh, that that particular threat to his authority. Now, again, Herod was appointed by the Romans, but he was not a Roman. He was an Edomite. And a Davidic king who is coming would actually be able to challenge his throne. He would actually have a legitimate claim to his throne. So Herod calls for the wise men from the east, who are called magi. They were probably astrologers, probably Persian astrologers. And these astrologers would would be able to determine the seasons for Herod, particularly regarding this prophecy. They were also familiar with the Jewish prophecy already, quoting from the prophet Micah to determine the place of Christ's birth. And knowing that the star that they see is a sign from Numbers chapter 24. So they were familiar with the Hebrew scriptures. They were not unfamiliar. And judging by the reactions that these men had upon seeing Jesus for the first time, they were believing Gentiles. And they were eager they were eager for the same promises Israel hoped for. They knew that Jesus, the Messiah, was the one to come who would save not only, not only Jew, but also Gentile alike. So they fell down and worshipped their king when they met Jesus for the first time. And after their visit with Jesus, they received a warning in a dream that they should not return to Herod. And so they left for their own country. Now Herod was obviously upset with this. He was upset about his wise men not returning, but he knew the city already that Christ would be born in, and he sent men to murder all male children in Bethlehem, aged two and younger, judging from the time that the wise men uh, predicted Christ's birth. However, an angel then warns Joseph, and he takes his family, along with Jesus, to Egypt during Herod's slaughter. Now, the patriarch Joseph had a similar journey in the Old Testament that Moses tells us about. Joseph's brothers plotted to kill him, but he instead was sold into slavery and sent to Egypt for a time. Now again, a new Joseph, under the fear of death, is sent to Egypt to be kept safe until he returns to his home to redeem his people with Jesus. Now Israel was sent to Egypt... Again, to escape famine and remain there until they were delivered under a tyrannical pharaoh, if you'll remember that as well. They returned to the land of promise. We call that the Exodus. So Egypt is a sort of safe haven for Israel often in times of trouble. Egypt meant safety from the present enemies around them in their own land. But it also means exile from your home. It also means exile. And exile is only a form of death. So Jesus descends to Egypt so that after Herod's death, he might return to the land and deliver his people from their exile, from their death. And this descent into exile that Jesus experiences also corresponds to the death of the infants that are still left in Bethlehem. So we can see the sort of th- the themes that are going on here in this particular event. They too descend and wait to be delivered on the last day. Just as we will descend and wait as well. Jesus, though living, goes with them and shows in his return that even our children will be raised with him on that last day. And Herod's massacre of these children is said to have fulfilled a prophecy from the book of Jeremiah chapter 20 or I'm sorry, chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31. It's a quote from Jeremiah 31 verse 15, which says this. Thus says the Lord. A voice was heard in Ramah. Lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children. Refusing to be comforted for her children. Because they are no more. So Rachel, as you'll remember, is Israel's or Jacob's wife. So here she is typified as the mother of the children of Israel. Mourning over their exile from the land promised to them. Ramah. Was a place in the land of Benjamin where Israelites were gathered before their exile to Babylon. It was sort of a a, a, a station that the Babylonian Empire would gather all people to in order to transfer them all at once to their new homes in the Babylonian Empire. So they had been conquered by this empire, and as they gathered to be shipped off, shipped off, Rachel weeps. Rachel weeps bitterly over her children. And no one can comfort her or give her comfort. And as a mother mourns the loss of her children, the nation mourns the loss of her children to captivity. Now, Ramah is not Bethlehem. Ramah is not Bethlehem. So why does this event of a literal massacre of children in Bethlehem, in Judah, fulfill this prophecy talking about Ramah and Benjamin? Well, the connection here. Is, the loss of, is in the loss of the children. But it is also in the following promises laid out in Jeremiah. Jeremiah goes on to say, Refrain your voice from weeping and your eyes from tears, for your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord, and they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord, that your children shall come back to their own border. Amen. Now the children here are martyrs who lose their life for the sake of Jesus. And because of their sacrifice, though unwillingly and unknowingly, they shall be rewarded with return to their land once again. This, is, this means that they will be rewarded in the resurrection when they receive the inheritance of their faith in the coming Christ. But this event also fulfills Jeremiah by being a prefiguring of the life of the disciples of Christ when his ministry begins in Israel. Christ comes back from the land of the enemy to the borders of Israel so that all those who follow him may come with him, may come back into the land in Christ. All those who follow Jesus in his death will most assuredly follow him into new life through faith. The exiled people of Israel have a way out of the land of the enemy, which which Jerusalem has become. It has become a land of the enemy. If we remember in Revelation, Jerusalem is called Babylon. The whore of Babylon, more, more precisely. But not only Jerusalem, but the Roman Empire has become a new Babylon over them as well. And the disciples will feel, feel the sting that Bethlehem felt for following Jesus. They, as children of God, will follow in the same steps as these children in Bethlehem. They will be beaten, mocked, killed... For Christ's sake. St. Stephen is seen as the first martyr of the Christian church. But before Pentecost, there were these little ones unwillingly giving their lives for the cause of Christ. May that we in all things follow our Lord knowingly or unknowingly, wherever he leads, because we know it always ends in glory. And isn't this the hope of every Christian? Isn't this the hope of every Christian? That all our hardships, all of our struggles in Christ, lead us to glories unspeakable. And this means that all of our loss, all of our mourning, is for a purpose. It is not meaningless. This horrendous massacre of infant boys in a small town of Bethlehem at the beginning of the first century is not inconsequential. God had it written down for our sake. It matters, and it matters for the glory of Christ and for his salvation. Our catechism says that God will make whatever evils he sends upon you in this valley of tears turn out to your advantage. Or Romans chapter 8 verse 28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called, who are the called, according to his purposes. But sometimes it appears as if help may never come or the sorrows keep compounding and compounding with no end in sight. So in a similar way, Rachel's weeping appears to not cease. It appears to she can't be comforted, that this weeping will never cease. Now, we've had families here who have, who have lost children in the womb. We've had families here. We've had one family here who has lost an infant child. So we know the effects of that in our congregation. We know the feeling of that loss. The grief seems unbearable in those times. Rachel refuses to be comforted for the loss of her children. She is inconsolable. And yet, what man cannot comprehend and accomplish, our Lord can do and does. Amen. Rachel's children will return in, per, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, their Lord. The prophet Isaiah says that Jesus will swallow up death and victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. The rebuke of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. The Lord has spoken. He has spoken in his word made flesh for us. The very same word that he, who spoke all things into existence took on human flesh and dwelt among us so that we through him might receive all things. Our tears will be wiped away. Death and its unbearable cruelty will be swallowed up forever. And our shame will be done away with. Our losses will be turned to gains. To live is Christ and to die is gain. So those mothers and those fathers of Bethlehem who lost their children did not lose them in vain. The child that they had been waiting on for generations has come and he will come again. So parents, if you have experienced this kind of loss, look for Christ's appearing. Look for Christ's appearing. Know that your mourning is a prelude to the everlasting blessings of Christ Jesus. Know that like the innocents of Bethlehem, the little ones of Bethlehem, your children are not forgotten. They too look for their Christ's appearing when he comes to raise the living and the dead to life eternal in the new heavens and the new earth. Christ's joyful appearing does not happen without its sorrows. This world is full of sin and suffering and it's, it's, it's there for us to experience and for us to persevere in. But the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that it is a pledge to us, a promise, that our mourning, our sorrow, our pain is a prelude to blessing. Provided we believe on our Lord Jesus who provides those blessings. Provided we look for his appearing and expectant faith. So this Christmas, even in loss or deep pain, we have true joy, a joy that is not built on our fleeting circumstances, but the promises of Christ Jesus our Lord. So remember these little ones of Bethlehem. Remember them as examples of the mercies of Christ, not just the victims of men. Remember them so as to point to you the hope of Christ's appearing, that no matter what may happen to you, what may happen to those around you, What may happen to those you love. Our hope is promised. And God's word is sure. And remember the words of the Lord to Jeremiah. Refrain your voice from weeping. And your eyes from tears. For your work shall be rewarded, says the Lord. And they shall come back from the land of the enemy. There is hope in your future, says the Lord. That your children shall come back to their own border. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.